0: What's up, it's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill.
1: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago.
2: ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: The run for the Chicago Bulls should have ended when someone beat the Bulls. Would the Bulls win a seventh title in nine years? You know what? We deserve to see it. Players deserve to see it. Ownership deserve to see it. But no, you know who ended the the run? It wasn't the Spurs or another strong Western Conference team. It wasn't the Knicks. It was Jerry Cross and Jerry Reinsdorf. They beat the Bulls. And that's the thing that is so unfortunate. All the teasing, all the razzing that Jerry Krause got. He got his way. He got Tony Kukoc to be the face of that Chicago Bulls team. Remember how much that sucked? Because I remember it. I remember a full house every night after the championship run just moaning and groaning about, wait a minute, what's going on with this team? Really, really horrible. We're talking to you about it here with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our telephone number. We're going to hear from Will Perdue coming up at 820, a four-time NBA champion. We're going to get his thoughts about the last dance, but I want to get your thoughts. Because to me, you just don't turn a blind eye to greatness. You don't say, I'm going to sell for Rusty LaRue and Brent Berry and Cornell David instead of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. The championships are there. And again, maybe the Bulls win a seventh championship, maybe they don't. But historically, in the NBA, historically in sports, you don't break it up just because. You do it because of attrition. You do it until the wheels fall off. And then you try to rebuild from there. But you just don't break it up just to say, you know what, I'm tired of all this winning. It sucks. It sucks today. I feel like I'm doing this show for 1998 when I was doing shows in 98. But the documentary is still fresh. And and so even though the positives uh, in this documentary and so many of them about Jordan and about the Bulls and Steve Kerr about role players like John Paxson uh, about the the fans, um, it is so many positive stories. But the thing that is the dark cloud of this this whole thing is, is it takes me back. To covering this team as a producer and as a part time talent, looking at this Bulls team, wondering in my 20s, like, why is this happening now? Why does it have to be unplugged? It was unplugged because Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause said so. Talking about suicidal. Suicidal for who? The Bulls? Suicidal for the players? Yeah, they got, yeah, the players got tired of Pippen and Reinsdorf, but you know what? That's the price of poker. That's the price of business. You may not, there's people at the station that don't like me it's people at the station that, that don't like me very much. Or maybe I have a problem with them you know, historically over the years, but you know what? We're we're all about the same business. We're all trying to win and that's okay. I don't, I couldn't care less if people at the station don't like me or some, or someone that works there don't like, I don't care about that. As long as we're winning, it doesn't matter. There's someone that you work with in your office or what you if, from the job that you work in. They didn't like you but it doesn't mean that you go and cry about it on Instagram. If you're, if it's about a team, you win as a team, no matter if you have a a issue with your teammate, it's all right. As long as we win, that's what really matters. And the same thing with this bulls team, Krause is so sensitive and Reinsdorf is so sensitive because they weren't getting credit. And the bulls players were, that ain't right. I mean, like everybody gets credit, but, but you don't undermine a team because of feelings. That's not, you don't unplug a championship team because of feelings. Three one two three three two ESPN three three two three seven seven six is our phone number. Rick in Chatham with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand. Hi, Rick.
2: Hey, great job on the program. Thank and, you, Rick. And, and great documentary. Uh, I, I just got a, a spin on it. You remember Jerry Reinsdorf said the Bulls are his stepchild. He said he would trade all those championships for a World Series. So. That that is the main thing is the White Sox. And uh the thing that I talked to your producer is that uh maybe later on, Jimmy Butler, that's not he never had the talent of Jordan. He's kind of a self made player, but he had that fire. And how does it play in the two thousands, the two K, a person pushing other teammates because he pushes other teammates, he pushes buttons on that. So maybe you can't do that today. Uh but it's 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 interesting to me. Uh, for instance, you look at the uh, White Sox now. It's kind of poetic justice. Like he spent, They opened the purse strings for the White Sox and spent the money, and the virus knocks the team out. So I don't know if that's poetic justice or not. But uh, uh, I, I tell you, though, that type of player. Also, I got from the documentary, the quirky player, the type of quirky player that you make fit in. Like we had Ron Artest, good player, kind of quirky. Could a good coach and the right chemistry have made him fit in so just a lot of thoughts, but uh, great job on the program, and and uh, uh, hopefully with this new management, they can put a new face on this. The upper management keeps their hands off, and the Bulls can do something going forward.
0: Rick, I'm glad you checked in. Appreciate your phone call. Now, Rick Leem's line open three one two three three two. ESPN is our phone number. Jared is in uh, Cicero on ESPN one thousand. Hey, Jay. Hey, it's
2: Gerard.
0: Hey, what's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm good, man. To me, man.
2: When I look at it and see how it is, you know, Chicago got a lot of layers to it, but it means something different to a lot of people. And when I look at this thing, man, I think the whole problem came with it. It was about they cut, how they were cut, it, what they not able to deal with. Michael Jordan's personality was so aggressive through that organization. It was so strong. It held such a grip. And they couldn't wait to get that over with, man. And from that point on, they ain't never want nothing in here like it again. Like, through the whole thing, and I think even when they went through picking their players, finding the players to come in here, it was nothing like Buddy. We don't want nothing like Buddy. You come in here if you this type of person, but not if you're that type of person. If you come in with that type of attitude, you're getting out of town. Look at Jimmy Butler. His attitude was like, hey, man, you need to coach hard. You need to work hard. You need to do, put everything on the line. You need to get it." Oh, no, we can't have nobody your personality is too strong. You got to go. And you know what, Gerard? It whole- was,
0: here's what's funny, Gerard, and I appreciate your phone call. Here's here's what's funny. The Jimmy Butler piece it goes like this. So Jimmy Butler comes to Chicago, and that didn't work, especially when he was trying to get more out of the Bulls team. So he goes to Minnesota, and he's trying to uh, kick the ass of uh, Wiggins and Towns and Tom Thibodeau, and that didn't work. And so he goes to Philly, and he goes to Philly, and he's trying to do what he can to try to get Philly motivated with Ben Simmons and, uh, and, and working with that team, and that didn't work. And so now he's with Miami. Notice that every place that Jimmy Butler has been as of late, that team has gotten worse after he's left. He's a different kind of cat. There's no question. That's a different dude, Jimmy Butler. But it's interesting how every place that Jimmy's gone, once uh, once he's left, the team is taking a step back or two, because he comes in with a different energy. And again, it's not popular for everybody. Everybody just there's a number of players in this league and in, in sports in general with this laissez-faire cavalier attitude in which. Oh, we lost tonight. Okay. Next party, next plane, next hotel. Oh, we lost tonight. Okay. Next party, next plane, next hotel. And Jimmy Butler, it was not about that. We saw that with the Bulls. The guy came in with a chip on his shoulder, was a defensive wizard, and then develops a jump shot. And he starts having a chip on his shoulder as he gets bigger and bigger into the game. And so he goes to these places and knows the work ethic that he learned from Thibodeau when he's with the Bulls. And, and now everywhere he goes, he's like, oh, what's with this guy? You know, Why is he coming at us like that? Because of he brings to the table a different attitude than others. Uh, and I'm, and I, I will not compare uh, what we've seen from Michael Jordan with Jimmy Butler, but the same mentality exists. Wait until we see the Kobe doc. Wait until that comes out. And then we, you will see mirror images of certain players that are alpha dogs that don't care about your feelings. <laughs> They're just trying to win championships. One thing I can't say about a lot of millennials, in, in since we're talking about the NBA, they care about legacy because they already have generational wealth. They, you know, There was a time where in the, in the, in the 90s, uh, there were a lot of players that were concerned about their bling, concerned about their houses, concerned about how many cars, how many women they had. That was cool. But where were your championships? Ah, that didn't matter because the championships and the winning was secondary for some uh, in the 90s. But this generation, they, they do care about legacy, and, and and I do like that. But you've got to be able to get away from the softness. Hopefully, there's some players that watch that, and, and either there'll be two takeaways. One takeaway will be, ah, boy, that was a crazy era, or I can learn something from this as a leader, and I could be able to step my game up to be able to help my team win a championship, and that be so relaxed and so so um indifferent to losing Three one two three three two. 332 espn is our phone number valancourt is in the south loop with jonathan hood on ESPN 1000 hey val
3: hey how you doing jonathan can you hear me yes
0: sir how you doing
3: i'm great man i'm great love your show man thank you hey um it seems like the more the bulls won those championship when they beat detroit little kraus ego became bigger than the team and Michael Jordan and the big Crouch. I mean, the, the big Jerry mm-hmm. let him do it. I don't understand that. And if the Patriots can make it work for 20 years and win championship, they didn't win it three in a row, but they won. Why couldn't these dudes do it?
0: It should have been a one, at least one more to at least see. And again, I, I'll be the first hey. to tell you, I don't know Valancourt if they would have won a championship. But in a shortened right. season, in a strike season, where you only play 50 games plus the playoffs, yeah, may, exactly. you know what, maybe the Bulls would have lost. But you know what, it's up to them to try. You don't unplug right. it as management. You let the players handle that.
3: That's right. Hey, one more thing, Jonathan. Um, another thing, too. Kobe retired a Laker. Why couldn't they let Michael Jordan do that for the people, man?
0: To come back one more for one more run like they did with Scotty.
3: And let him play his last team and just go into the sunset. I just don't understand that.
0: I'm glad you checked in. I appreciate your phone call, Val. Um, You know, after his retirement and then a couple of years away, he goes with the Washington Wizards. And so Jordan playing for the Wizards was not about him playing basketball. He had a stake in the organization as a front office person. And so that was kind of greasing the skids in the beginning of Jordan as the executive versus Jordan, the player. He had a couple of really nice seasons with the wizards. I think he ended when I look at the numbers, I think he ended with 20 points a game. Um, But um, I would have asked Michael if he wanted to come back, but remember Kraus and Reinsdorf were still in power, you know, Um, to come back for one more game as of in retires a bull would have been great, but that's not the case. <laughs> just, I mean, just the hard feelings over a great player because, and, and again, it's so frustrating because Jerry Reinsdorf had more credence in Jerry Krauss than the actual players that are putting the blood, sweat, and tears in. Krauss was part of that championship team too. Absolutely. The choices that he made. This is not a referendum on, on taking a, um, you know, or taking out Jerry Krauss. We're not doing that. We're talking about how. There was so much emphasis in what Jerry Krause wanted versus what the players wanted. You just can't, you know, change these players out like they're chess pieces and think, oh, we don't, you know, Jordan, oh, we got Rusty LaRue, it's fine. You know, just bring in Pete Meyer, just bring in Jalen Rose. That doesn't work that way. Just, I just don't, I don't understand it, but I think it just comes down to the word ego, ultimately, for all of this. Uh, glad you checked in. Appreciate your phone call. Let me go to David. He's been holding patiently in Bridgeport as we do Last Dance Monday, brought to you by Coors Light on ESPN One Thousand. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Good, Dave.
3: Um, you're doing a great job tonight. Uh, Thank you. You know, I'm revising this a wonderful, phenomenal documentary. I thought it was great. Um, the only thing is, for me personally, I'm no longer a Bulls fan, and there's a lot. There's a lot of re- reasons why I'm not a Bulls fan but most of it has to do with right after that era when Jordan left. I feel like they cashed in on these championships, right? They had all this money uh, sold out stadiums, and then they want to just cash in that lotto, right? So then years later, they get lucky with D. Rose. He has a team that's capable of winning a championship. You got LeBron out there, but you don't want to get that, sign that one extra piece so D. Rose, the home guy, can bring a championship back, you know what I'm saying? Because you're already sitting on your hands because you got all this money from Jordan and the trophy cases, and now you get lucky with Jimmy Butler and the same thing kind of happens. So it feels like the Bulls are just this kind of organization that cashes in on something awesome and then just wants to milk it and take advantage of the fans selling out stadiums for years after Jordan. And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, especially, you know, how they handled the D Rose situation. And to see him flourish, I'm happy that he's flourishing the way he is. But I hope he doesn't, he never comes back to Chicago. I, I would maybe go watch a game if he came back to Chicago. But all that whole history just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I don't want to give none of my money to an organization like that.
0: Dave, I'm glad you checked in. Appreciate your phone call. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 our phone number. There's a generation of Bulls fans that have just, they've ghosted. They've left because of this Jordan era. Because of the Jordan era being so strong and then Krauss and Reinsdorf unplugging it. And then all the losing, of course, too. You know, it's hard for a generation To be like, you know, I'm a Bulls fan well, Who are you going to go see? Um, right, very difficult James is on the road With me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 We talked about the last dance Hey James Jonathan,
4: thanks for taking my call uh, yes, sir. First of all, who doesn't like you at the station? Because we need to straighten that out Because I've loved you <laughs> since the WrestleManiac days man. You're, you're, you're doing a great job and you always have
0: It'll be in the book, James, for sure <laughs>
4: We're reading it for sure. Uh, Listen, it's going to be a broken record. So many callers tonight, so many great points. But I was telling your producer, what this documentary has done for me is opened up a lot of old wounds that I have thought of that I thought have healed. To watch Reinsdorf sit there with the arrogance and just being so smug like he's a great businessman and he's doing all these deals and he's negotiating, and he's, no, he's the smartest guy in the room. You inherited Michael Jordan. That's your brilliance. And what it, what's happened to you since he's left? Nothing. They give Eddie Robinson $30 million. They give Jalen Rose $12 million for a year. Mm-hmm. This is why they needed to save their money. This is their brilliance. This is what they need the money for. I'm sorry. I, like, I appreciate young Bulls fans and their fandom and they're wanting to support the team. But old school guys like you and I, we've been through enough. That I just look at these young fans. I'm like, you guys are suckers, man. I'm not ever giving them any of my money. <laughs> After, if they can do that to Jordan and Pippen, arguably like the, the, the greatest players to have ever played the game, what could they do to you? They don't care about you. They never have. It's all about filling seats and collecting that cash. That's all that's ever been done with these guys. Nike subsidized Jerry Reinsdorf not paying Michael Jordan a fair wage for years, and he got away with it, and nobody ever blinked an eye, including Michael Jordan, which is outrageous if I'm MJ. Jerry Reinsdorf didn't have to pay Michael Jordan a decent wage for years, and he got away with it. So I, I love the documentary, but I don't love the old feelings that it's brought up. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for doing these shows, and thanks for your point of view. Always right. have appreciated
0: it. Thank, thank you very much, James. I appreciate your phone call. Um, coming up, we'll get the viewpoint of Will Purdue, a four-time NBA champion. He was part of those championship teams. What does he think of The Last Dance? We'll hear from Will coming up next as we do Last Dance Mondays, brought to you by Coors Light on ESPN 1000.
3: You're listening
2: to Under the Hood. Get the
0: ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the
1: live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere.
2: Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Last Dance Mondays brought to you by Coors Light. Boy, what a great documentary. As we talk about it right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Have you downloaded the podcast? Check out the podcast. Uh, look for ESPN Chicago. Uh, look for the ESPN Chicago app. You can listen live to programming. Or if you miss my shows, listen, we're doing last dance documentary, but you're busy with family with friends. You're doing stuff. Maybe you, go, maybe you get a chance to listen to the show between seven and 10 every night. That's why we get the podcast. Check it out. Look for under the hood with Jonathan hood. And you're right in to, our content that we have for you on a nightly basis right here on ESPN 1000, Jeff Dickerson. And I got a chance to talk to Will Purdue, a four time NBA champion, of course, analyst for the Chicago Bulls on NBC sports, Chicago. We talked to Will about a number of things with this documentary, including uh, asking the question, has this been a fairly accurate portrayal of the 1990s era Bulls? Uh,
5: I personally, I have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's to this day, I'm still amazed by the attraction of Michael Jordan. Um, the interest, especially now has just been off the charts. You always, when they were, I interviewed for this in February of 2019. And I actually, when I did my interview, it was up at MJ's house in Highland park. The one that's still for sale. It's, for what they were asking and now what they want, you could get a really good deal, but it's still going to cost you. <laughs> but even then, at the time, they didn't have a name. And when I walked away from there, because I did it for about two hours, I was thinking, That's, that this is going to be more about MJ than the Bulls. But now as it's come out and it has a name, and I've watched every single episode, and I did not get an advanced uh, screening, I've been watching it, you know, with my son who wasn't born at the time. He's only 16 and uh, my wife. And, you know, it's been enjoyable watching it with them at this, you know, it's like, uh, you know, same time as I am. And, you know, I kind of joked that my son was pressing me, dad, are you going to be in this? Are you going to be in this? I said, well, I think I'm going to be in some of the highlights. I don't know if they're going to use my interview or not. Because I couldn't honestly, if you would have given me a million dollars, I couldn't. I couldn't have remembered ten questions. I knew it was more about Michael Jordan stuff, but you just never know if that's going to end up on the cutting room floor. But I think with everything they've had, and then the fact I don't think a lot of people know this, they weren't even done when they elected to move it up to April and start showing it. I mean, they've just finished nine and ten here here recently, and I think it's done a nice job of depicting. Who Michael is even at the end of what was that episode seven or eight where he got emotional and said cut he used to not allow that to be seen he saw that as a vulnerability but I think he understands now that people really want to know who he is what he was about and what he stood for and I think you're really seeing that but you're also seeing the drama the tension basically the circus like atmosphere that came with winning those championships in the early 90s and then in the late 90s.
0: Well, with this documentary, I think many are really getting an understanding of what it was like to be a Chicago Bull in that era, that championship era. So being on the Bulls, can you describe what it was like being with that Chicago Bulls championship team? Is there anything close to that now in the modern day?
5: Well, I think that maybe you could say uh, Golden State was for a while as far as the amount of attention they were getting especially when KD was there, because now you're talking about KD, Clay, Steph. You know, we had Michael, Scotty, Horace. Um, very, a very similar type of uh, atmosphere, I guess you would say, because of the popularity and the number of games that Golden State had on TV. But And also the likability of Steph Curry. But I always keep saying this, and I think you've, you've seen in this documentary, you know, Space Jam. He filmed Space Jam while all this was going on to the point where Tim Grover says, hey, we need a place to play. And they build him a freaking bubble with the court and the weights and the whole thing. That just right there, if you didn't know at the time, that just hammers home how popular he was. And then, to top it all off, those guys are scratching and clawing to get into that bubble to play pickup games. That's just the impact that Michael had on the league, his popularity to the general public, but yet just the talent level that he had and the persona. I mean, he was just like a magnet. He attracted people.
1: There have been, Will, during the docuseries, when the topic of Scottie Pippen comes up, there have been some moments that have been rather you know, controversial from Scottie's contract, which was always kind of hanging over everyone's head. I remember for years and years he was so underpaid. Um there was the the play where you were on that team when he, you know, sat out and Kukoc hit the game winning shot in the playoffs. How do you feel that Scotty has been portrayed in all of this and what was he like as a
5: teammate that you can recall? Well first of all I, I think that uh, you know Scotty's not been given enough credit. I think that they have gone the route and, and maybe not so much intentionally of focusing on the mistakes that Scotty made as you talked about you know, I mean, listen, I'll be the first to tell you that contract that he signed was front end loaded. He got a lot of his money from that contract up front. And everybody knew that when he signed that, he was going to be way underpaid, you know, the last two or three years of that contract. So I think it was a, uh, a five year deal and he still had a year left on his first contract. And Mr. Reinsdorf was was, you know, he told the truth when he told Scotty, don't sign this. I'm, I'm As a businessman, I'm telling you not to sign this. But we as players knew why he signed it. He needed to sign it. His family was counting on him, you know, the situation that he was in. So you kind of – I don't want to say you felt sorry for him because of the amount of money we were making, but you felt for him because of the pressure he was under from his family in order to take care of them. He wasn't in a position where he could wait. And as you heard him talk about in the document he couldn't necessarily take a chance and, you know, become a free agent. Cause in case he gets hurt, then we all know, you know, where, where that goes. But the one thing I will say about Scotty was, is as he learned from Michael, you know, he, he became a very good leader. He became a great teammate in the far as how he uh, communicated with us, how he vocalized things with us, how supportive he was, I think that uh, one of the things I kind of got on, I think it's Jason Hare, uh, the director, I got on him a little bit when we had him on the radio last week about, hey, what are you going to do about Scotty?" I'm not sure that, you know, he's being depicted properly. And he said, well, I think he'll get a little bit of his just due in Episodes 9 and 10. So, um, hey, I think it's necessary to talk about the mistakes he made, but let's also talk about how important he was to this team. Because one of the things I talked about as we at NBC Sports Chicago have been doing uh, post-game shows at the end of every round of the 98 playoffs. Yeah, Michael led the team in scoring, but if you look at the numbers, Scotty was always second in the team in scoring, second in the team in rebounding, first in the team in assists, first in the team in steals, first in minutes. Was, Was he maybe more valuable in the big picture when you talk about everything than Michael was? I think that's just how important he was to this team.
0: Well, watching Phil Jackson uh, as a player and then being able to come through the ranks uh, and become a head coach with the Chicago Bulls, I thought that was interesting, some of that grainy film of him being hey, in yeah. Mexico. just a, I'd never seen him that demonstrative before with the, the short sleeves and going out in the court and just the wild nature of that country while he was coaching. I, I thought that was fascinating. I was just wondering... Uh, your thoughts about Phil Jackson as a head coach and that coaching staff, how instrumental they were for everybody on those championship teams.
5: Well, it was huge for a, a number of reasons. First of all, for you know not only Phil, but Jerry Krause getting the right guys to put around uh, Phil. Tex winner for the triangle offense and for, for Phil to believe in Tech's winner and the offense and to stick with it when he got pushed back from MJ, but also got pushed back from other players. I mean, it literally took us a year and a half to really kind of start figuring that thing out. Johnny Bach, you know, he, he did an excellent job with the defense. He, he understood the personality he had and was able to uh, build the defense in a scheme that played to our strengths. You know, remember they used to call it the Doberman defense and, our, and that defense for both three peeps, was really good, even when you had now had Frank Hamblin and some other assistants there. Um, I think also Jim Clemens. Phil did a nice job of kind of separating himself from the players, and Jim Clemens was kind of uh, you know the facilitator. He would be out at practice talking to players, listening to players. Players always had a beef about something. I'm not playing enough. I should be starting. You know, my personal life sucks. It's always something. And Jimmy Clemens was there as the buffer. He did a nice job. So I think they did a really nice job. And then Phil also, he kind of knew how to push everybody's buttons. We didn't all sit here and say, Hey, we had a love affair. We loved our coach. And, you know, but the one thing he did do was there was a respect factor and he knew how to get the best out of everybody. Some guys he would coddle and fondle. Other guys he'd really, you know, stick his foot up their ass, push them hard, maybe come across, you know, a little bit like, MJ did as, uh, you know, uh, abrasive, but yet he did a nice job of reading each individual player and pushing guys past their comfort zone. But at the same time, you know, kind of being that calming influence that we needed. Cause as you were talking about earlier, Jeff, you mentioned Scotty and his mm-hmm. 1.8 seconds. I mean, Phil could have went off the handle when that whole thing happened, but he was just as cool as a cucumber hesitated for literally a second, and then went, fine, Pete Myers, you're in. And then he had Pete Myers throw the ball in, which was a perfect pass, and then Tony knocks down the shot. So it was just like one of those things. He just kept pushing the right buttons.
1: I also felt like, too, Will, Will Purdue with us, talking about guys in from that era not getting their just due. I mean, with Tony Kukoc, we've only really seen him hit the shot and you know play against the Dream Team in the Olympics. I mean, my recollection of Tony Kukoc, Will, was – he was a tremendous player and a perfect fit for those teams that went on to win the three championships later.
5: Yeah. I mean, considering the abuse that Tony took in the Olympics, considering the abuse he took his rookie year, because, you know, it wasn't like he just came in and and Scotty was like, eh, it's all cool. You know, we still kind of went at him a little bit. And then MJ came back. And one of the things MJ talked about is, hey, you guys weren't here you know, for the first three P you guys got to earn your stripes just because you were here in the wake of all that. And I wasn't here. Doesn't mean you've gained my respect. And that happened with Tony. But as you're talking about, go back and look at the numbers and for the 98 championship, I mean, it was basically, it was a three man team, Scotty, Michael, and and Tony. I mean, Dennis Rodman was, listen, I don't want to sit here and say he was average, but the expectations you have for Dennis Rodman and the numbers that he would usually put up defensively uh, and rebounding-wise, they weren't there in the 98 series. I mean, Tony, I think Tony led one of the games at scoring with 31 when MJ and Scotty struggled, and they won that game because of him. And you're exactly right. And I'm curious, much like they say they're gonna, Scotty's going to kind of get his due, I wonder if they're going to do the same with Tony because I think that's really what they're focusing on is that last championship in 98, so hopefully that – You know, he'll get a lot of airtime and not just interview time.
0: Well, you're covering this uh, Chicago team uh, every day now, and there's a new regime in with Karnaschovas and also Eversley. I wonder how how will this organization be viewed now after this documentary?
5: Well, I think that that, in my opinion, and it should, puts more pressure on uh, this organization and this team. Because one of the things that I think people will – hopefully, first of all, people walk away from this with a better respect for Michael. And in my opinion, realizing, hey, I understand Kobe's in the conversation, LeBron's in the conversation, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still Michael's the best player. All right? Moving on. So hopefully this documentary will, will close that discussion, which it won't, but it should. Secondly, I think what it should be telling the organization is, is this. We just saw the history. We just saw the expectations. We saw what was required of not only Michael, but everybody else that played on those teams. Should we not? And, and this is something I can tell you that former players have as far as expectations. Should this organization not be held to higher standards because of their history, because they have six championships. I continue to say this, Jonathan, Boston used to be the Knicks, but unfortunately not anymore. Boston, Miami, Chicago, Golden State, you know, teams, the the Lakers, teams that have won multiple championships should be, and I think are held to higher standards. And I will tip my cap to Michael Reinsdorf for making the necessary changes Give my cap to John Paxson, who was the one. And I, I asked this behind the scenes, and I everybody has told me that, yes, it was John Paxson that went to Michael Reinsdorf and said, hey, we need to make changes, and if that requires me to step away, I'll gladly do it. So they've obviously gone in the right direction. Arturis has said the right thing. Eversley has said the right thing. And I think they, those guys talk about how they watched this organization growing up. They realized where it was, and they wanted to get it back to prominence so that every season in October or late September when they're starting training camp, that this team is considered a contender and not a pretender.
1: Will, again, always a pleasure talking basketball with you. Thank you so much, and thanks for coming on the show. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
2: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
1: Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood.
2: What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood.
1: Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000
0: and the ESPN app.
6: Here we go.
0: Time for Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. John Hood with you. We always give you Tales from the Hood stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. You never know what we have. But tonight, because of The Last Dance and The Last Dance Monday brought to you by Coors Light, we'll take a closer look at The Last Dance. What a great documentary, Eric! It was just great from start to finish.
6: As it was about to start last night, I got this feeling. I was like, man, I, I don't want this to end. I really don't. I'm upset. I'm going to have to fill a void now, Sunday nights.
0: No, no. You, you'll you have
6: Sosa McGuire and the lies from Lance Armstrong. Exactly. How <laughs> long, Like we are going to listen to that for two hours? Him just lie to our faces? Yeah, <laughs> there's so little I want to hear from that guy.
0: Are we doing Lance Mondays when that yes. comes
6: out? We just rip him.
0: That's fine. I can do that. That cycling talk will really help us with our ratings, I'm sure.
6: <laughs> you know it. How <laughs> about the Cavs? Cavs give ratings.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, there's so much to dig into from 9 and 10 from last night. What stood out to you?
6: All right, we'll just go kind of in my punch list here from the beginning. So, first off, right away, it started with the Pacers uh, and Bulls series. And it, right away, you get the video of that crazy blonde lady screaming F-bombs at all the players. And my wife turns to me and she just instantly goes, imagine be that being your mom. Be like, yep, that's mom right there. Awesome. Just so this crazy, crazy wealthy lady screaming at people.
0: She is a broadcaster.
6: Do you Are you familiar
0: with her background? No, I, mean, I don't know who that is. Okay, because Dan Dockage is going to have her on. Apparently, she was at the, the Pacers games a lot uh, back in that day. And so she is a broadcaster, I believe, in Nashville. And Doakis is working on getting her on his show in Indianapolis, uh, but she
6: she's been dragged on on Twitter. I mean, there's not much positive you can say about someone treating somebody like that. It's <laughs> she, just terrible. She's been dragged
0: huge. Uh, Pacer fan. 22 years ago. Yeah, she's out there now, and so her name. I don't have her name. I'm looking through it not right now. But she's been dragged big time because she And by the way, that just speaks to a crazy crowd in Indianapolis over the years. When the paces are right, that crowd is one of the best crowds in the NBA, or worst if you are a road team.
6: Right, depending on how you want to say it. Um, so even all right, right before the first commercial break, the vengeance list for, for Jordan, how he finds all these little things to get upset with, we had two before the first commercial break. One was the Malone winning the MVP in the 96-97 season, and then the second was the Brian Russell telling him, why'd you quit? Like, I could have covered you, why'd you quit? So right out of the gate. We got to check on the list for the vengeance for Jordan.
0: The battle of Russell is just so unnecessary. It's just, I mean, he doesn't even know Michael that way to, for him to just come up to Because I'm sure he was kidding based on the information that we were given. But it's like, Mike's like, of course, he's going to take everything personally because he needs that edge. But Russell just probably came up to him and said, like, yeah, man, why would you quit, man? I, I, man? I want to guard you. And sure, that's the the dream of a lot of young players. But of course, Jordan took it as a challenge.
6: And then he just didn't forget it. What, a year and a half later? He, okay, all right, fine, kid. You wanted to guard me. Here we go. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Have you gone back and watched any of those games from the the, the two series against the Jazz? Uh, I've watched a couple in the last few weeks. I have not. It It's a terribly difficult watch. The pace for those games are awful. Awful. The scores Sharpie. are, the, you're about to get maybe about 85 points a game, each team. Um, it was just dribble the ball up the court. The Bulls really didn't have a third scorer. It was Scotty and MJ. And then in that the second series, Scotty was hurt. So it was just ISO and pick and roll. And then Stockton and, and, and Malone just did their thing where it was the same set on the Utah Jazz offensive side every single time. Just really hard to watch. They just pounded the ball up the court. That's well.
0: From the jazz side, they only had one play. That's all so, they had. That's <laughs> it was exactly pick, and, it. pick and roll. It's either Stockton was rolling to the basket or Malone was rolling to the basket. <laughs> so, like they only had one play, and they had success with that one play. It's like the Syracuse, uh, you know, zone, zone, yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. You know, so same thing with the with the. Uh, it was there was not a lot of space. Very choppy. Uh, live interior play. You're right. So you look at like, like, some of those scores, right? I mean, a defensive struggle on both sides, and for a Western Conference team, you know, during that era, it was about teams getting up and down the floor. Not the Jazz. Jazz had one one really one move offensively, and it was very very good because you got two Hall of Famers out of it, but not enough to be able to sustain themselves to win a championship.
6: That they didn't have that third guy. Like it was it was an old horn of sack. It was just who is their third guy, and they didn't have one, so it was just. A seven-game series with the same exact offensive set, you're going to get figured out. It was hard to watch. Let me tell you, these games were so slow.
0: And and maybe that's why there was an odd juxtaposition in episodes 9 and 10 in which there was more on the Pacers... Right uh, and the Bulls, then the Jazz and the Bulls, because the Bulls were like, oh, we got this Jazz team. We got them figured out. And they got a little cocky, but they still won in six. But the Pacers took the Bulls to seven because that was a very tough team in the East.
6: Yeah, I thought it was telling after that series, Jordan, after the Pacers series, Jordan talked about how that, that was the most scared he's been. Like, that was the hardest they worked since 90, he said. So that was the, their first test they had, and he feels a long time. By the way, the,
0: I sent you the tweet um, on your Twitter, Eric. Kathy Martin Harrison is her is her name. That's who you saw screaming, yelling and and cursing at Joe Klein on the bench. (laughs) That's her
6: rough, rough one for her. Not a good look. Um, So all those trivia, by the way, throughout them, I finally, finally got my first right answer with the Ewing one at the end. Uh-huh. Took ten episodes. I thought I was going over because I every single one. Nope, 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 nope. Had good guesses, but just wasn't the right one. So I thought I was going to go shamefully over, <laughs> but I, I now got the one at the end to kind of solve it. There you go. Um, speaking of the pace for that, there was one of the games in the finals with the Jazz. The Jazz scored fifty-four points. Yeah, they ended the game with fifty. Like that was the one where Jerry Sloan was like, "Wait, is this the real score? Like, this is the final." <laughs>
0: He knew oh, what the final was. He's not, I know. He's no He's, great. Like, he's good. The old bull. <laughs> he, he, he knew how bad that was. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Just, but the swarming defense of the bulls were bad shooting. And as you astutely points out, like Antoine Carr or like Hornacek was not going to be that key third scorer. So that wasn't going to happen. So you know, And then the bulls did what they did. Like it, it, was, it was hard for them, too, because they're trying to win a sixth championship, and they don't have every cylinder firing either.
6: No, and um, so big, big moment for who we found out should have been the real MVP was Gus. Gus, the security guard, came back for game six, gave Jordan that boost of energy. It was amazing. Gus is the real MVP, as Katie would say.
0: Yeah, you know what? He, he really was. It's an interesting part of the documentary, though, because it, it speaks to the loneliness in some ways for Jordan, right? Like who is Jordan's mm-hmm. circle? Did we see that in the documentary as far as former players or current players in the league? know? It, it was his security detail because those are older cats that um, were father figures to Michael after Jordan loses his father, right? I guess his, his dad's murdered notice in the documentary sections of the documentary about his security detail, former Chicago cops, detectives, his, guy, his security detail that went with him home and road, those were his guys. And come to find out from, um, from several sources that, you know, when Gus was sick, Jordan paid the, the medical bills for Gus when he had cancer.
6: Right. That whole story was awesome. And like you said, it, he stepped in the shoes of, of Michael's dad. And he was just that figure around him. They told a story about when MJ was, like, breaking down. Gus got a call at 3 a.m. and went to Michael's side. Like, he was that person for him. And It was cool to see that extra little motivation for MJ when he came back for that game six after cancer. How
0: deep is that? How, yeah, how deep is that? Cool. Like his 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 guys, his security detail,
6: are some of Jordan's best friends, like it in the world. Yeah, those are like the people he trusts that he calls in those moments. It's, it's, That's it's shows what he sacrificed. Um, one more quick one, so. Well, okay, too. Real quick, I, this is under the the file of I remembered this, I knew this happened, but I forgot Rodman leaving mid-finals to just do an appearance on WCW is <laughs> incredible. Like I I knew that happened, but I forgot. It was one of those moments when it popped up. I just bursted out laughing. That was fantastic. And then at the end, when everyone's around Jordan at the piano, just hanging out in the hotel or whatever. How, like, badass do you have to be to not know how to play the piano? And everyone's hanging out with you as you're playing the piano.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here's the question for you. Okay, knowing your personality over the years, I I think it would be very difficult for you to be a hanger-on for Jordan for too long. Because somewhere along the line, after a few drinks, Eric Ostrowski would tell him, you know what, Mike, you're really not playing the piano well.
6: I, I, that's the thing is I would struggle <laughs> to just constantly compliment the person nonstop. Like, MJ, like, give me some taps. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: it's be, it'd be very difficult for an, e, for, an, for an EO to just <laughs> stand there like for, after every game in the – in the hotel and, like, laughing at Jordan's bad jokes. and it I mean, I guess if you're getting paid for it, I guess that's cool, you know, because he had some hangers-on there in the hotel, you know, in, in his hotel. But, man, that's – after a while, it's going to be like, okay, Mike, I'm laughing at everything you're saying and – and you're playing a, a bad piano. Of course, he's drinking, so who knows? I don't even know if Michael even remembers. <laughs> right.
6: Uh, how much of this video that he saw, it, he is not like all the video or all the the plane shots and stuff like that. Absolutely. But no, I would struggle being someone's hanger on, no doubt.
0: Oh, man. It, so much uh, from that documentary. Um that we still have to address. We just can't do it in one show. We'll have a, a, a few other shows here on Tuesday and Wednesday to continue to talk about just certain aspects of the documentary. But uh, that's uh, those are some of the highlights. That's for sure. And by the way, y- y- there's some people, Eric, that say it should be you know, like it should be 15 or 20 episodes. 10 is fine because now it starts to leave. um you start to think in your mind, you know, what if? What if this was added? What if that was added? It's 10 episodes. That's pretty epic in itself.
6: I think it's perfect. Like there, You could have gone more into the Steve Kerr story. You could have done more with Scotty. But all those things were, were peripheral to the actual story. So like, I think what we have and where it was at and the way they tie it together at the end, I thought it was what we needed. Exactly.
0: Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Coming up, we're going to hear from the iconic Scoop Jackson. Scoop Jackson has uh, covered this Bulls team for uh, for a while, uh, especially the last repeat and worked with uh, Michael Jordan, trying to find out more information when he worked for Slam Magazine. We'll hear from Scoop coming up at uh, 9 o'clock right here on UTH.